Welcome to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. We want to encourage, equip, and connect those with a passion to impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. Student ministry can be a lonely place. You might even feel like you're the only one in your church or community that cares about students. Well, know this, you're not alone. People all across the country are engaging Gen Z and care deeply about the spiritual direction of these young men and women. Whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, or volunteer, if you have a heart for students, this is the place for you. Welcome again to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. I'm Dan Carson, and I'm thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue the conversation about student ministry. Now, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, if you are learning in this process, be sure to share that out. Leave us a review and then share with others how they can find us on Podbean or Apple Podcast or whatever platform that you're using. Now, before we get into the heart of our podcast today, I want to thank our sponsors at Central Baptist College of Conway. They're an outstanding school that is Christ-focused. So if you have students that are in that early stages of figuring out what's next for them, point them towards Central Baptist College of Conway, Arkansas. They can find more information at cbc.edu. And you may even find yourself at a place wanting to finish a college degree. Central Baptist College offers a PACE program that can help you in that process. And you'll find more information at cbc.edu. Now, we are sharing Session 2 from our 2020 Virtual Student Ministry Workers Retreat, where Chris Swain had the opportunity to share with us. As many of you know, Chris Swain recently passed away, and we are all saddened by that. At 47, he had accomplished much for the kingdom, and he took some time with us, sharing with us about discipling students. And I wanted us just to have an opportunity to hear from him again about discipleship. And so let's listen together, session two from the 2020 Student Ministry Workers Retreat. So here we go again. We're looking at making disciples in student ministry and what discipleship looks like in student ministry context. And so thank you again so much for just kind of walking uh, with us through this. I'm so excited and grateful and humbled to be able to, to, you know, walk through some things and and talk through what it means to disciple students. And so we've talked already about just what the Great Commission is and what our call is as student leaders to invest in the students that God has brought into our context. And what we want to do in this session I want to warn you at the front end of this, there's a lot of content. It'll be like drinking from a fire hose, but I have to explain to you how discipleship groups work for students. And I don't want you to, to walk out of this or you know turn off the, the YouTube or Facebook or whatever and not have this information. And so I'm going to make it as engaging as I possibly can, but hang out with me. And, and the second thing I want to tell you is this. Take notes during this session, but if you don't have time to take notes, we've got a, a booklet very similar to this. It's free. It's on our website, replicate.org. You can grab it. It's the the D group, the discipleship group starter kits. And what this does is it's going to give you every single thing I'm saying. So I'm going to teach this to you now, and then you can go grab this, download it. You'll have that digital copy, and, and you can use this to implement discipleship groups. But this content needs to be verbalized. You need to hear about it. So I want to start by telling you just a quick story uh, it's kind of embarrassing for me, but when I got married, I, I, I was back in 1998, and I've been married now for 20 plus years. 
Love my wife, uh, love doing ministry with my wife, love my family. But when we got married, I was absolutely clueless. Now I say that and it almost sounds like I'm not clueless now, but I'm just as clueless now as I was then. Maybe a little bit further down the road, right? But when we got married, I knew nothing. And so the night before our, our marriage, I was hanging out with my friends. We were having a Christian bachelor party which basically just means you're drinking Dr. Pepper and playing Mario Brothers, right? And so we were hanging out. It was getting late. And my friend said, hey, Chris, what did you get Melissa for the wedding? And I was like, what do you mean? What I, I got her the wedding, right? I, I mean, what else do I need to get her? And she said, well, it's, it's kind of customary for um, someone to get his, his wife a gift for the wedding. She's going to get you something, you know? And, and so that got me thinking, well, that would be bad if I showed up after we got married and she gave me a gift and I didn't have anything for her. The dilemma I had was this was like midnight, the night before I was going to get married. I didn't have time. So I thought to myself, where would a person go to buy a gift at midnight for their wife? And there are two choices really, right? A gas station or Walmart. So I wisely chose Walmart and took my friend. We went in, we walked up and down the aisles and, and we found the gift that I thought would deliver to her the message that I love you and this is going to, you know, this should speak volumes to you as to how much I care about my new wife. And so I, I bought her that gift. I went home, woke up the next morning. We got married. Everything went great. We went to our honeymoon destination, this cabin and this little city out in the woods. It was exciting. Uh, we got there and I was like, man, I'm prepared. I have a gift for my wife. And so she walks up to me and she gives me this green, really nicely wrapped package. And I think it had like gold uh, ribbon on it. I can't remember in my mind. That's what I remember. And she said, here, I wanted to give you this. This is your wedding gift. And so I was pretty excited because I knew in the back of my mind, I took care of this, right? I, I can't imagine how embarrassed I would have been if I didn't. But I opened up her gift and inside this gift were these nine little books. And I thought, man, she thinks I'm going to do a lot of reading now that we're married, right? I didn't understand. So I pulled one out and I looked at it. And she said, these are the journals I took every single night of our dating relationship for two years. I chronicled our entire relationship from meeting until engagement until marriage. And here it is, our story written down in books, in journals. And I thought, that is a powerful gift. I also got pretty nervous because I realized then what my gift was, right? So I pulled out my Walmart sack and I handed it to my wife and she opened up the Walmart sack to, to find the gift that I had picked out, a VHS copy of Lion King 2. All right, Lion King 2 on VHS was the gift that I had chosen for my wife. It was definitely not what she expected. Um, and at the same time, it showed me how little I knew about marriage and relationships, right? I knew very little. It's that type of story that reminds me about ministry. And here's why. We have no idea what we're getting into when we get married. All the married couples out there, you're raising your hands like, absolutely, I totally agree, right? At the same time, I don't think any of us had any idea what we were getting into when we stepped in to student ministry. Whether you're volunteering, whether you're a paid staff member, whether you're the only people in your church that work with students, you stepped in this ministry and you had really no idea what God was calling you to do. But isn't it so gratifying to see how God is using you to make disciples. And so as we walk through this session, I just want us to start with that in mind. With, with not having any clue as to what we're getting into, I'm so thankful that God gives us a guideline. He gives us a baseline. And what is it? Well, it's what he did with the disciples, right? He emulated for us with the disciples what you and I should be doing in ministry with the disciples that he's entrusted to us 
to continue to replicate, right? And it starts with this, this simple statement. Simplicity is the key to reproducibility. Simplicity is the key. Everything I'm going to talk to you about in the next few minutes is very, very simple. And when I talk to you about it, you're going to be thinking in your head, okay, there's a lot of stuff I got to do. Honestly, there's not. And, and the beauty of this is if you look at what Jesus did and how he emulated this for us, there's a reason it's so simple. But I want to challenge you because one of the things that you might do is say, well, we've got Sunday school, we got Wednesday night. I don't know if we can add this discipleship group element. Trust me when I say you can. And once you do, you'll be so glad that you did. The first thing I want to talk through, and, and again, this is a challenging, uh, it's one of those things where I hope this session isn't happening after you've just eaten a meal, right? Um, but we have to understand that language creates culture. In other words, the words we use project and change the world around us because that's the vehicle through which people think. I mean, think about it. When I say Starbucks, you probably think of what? Coffee, right? If I say, uh, I'm dating myself here, Timex, you, you might, if you're old enough, think of watch, right? If I say Nike, you might think of shoes. You might think of other stuff too, but generally you're going to think of shoes, right? Well, here's the deal. What happens when I say the word discipleship? immediately you, you start thinking of a lot of different things. And I would probably have a different answer with every single person I talk to. But think about how language creates culture in the church. Have you ever heard of uh, terms that are like Christianese, right? Words that we only use because we're believers and no one really knows what they mean. Like hedge of protection. What in the world is a hedge of protection, right? Have you ever had one prayed over you, right? You would not have a conversation with someone who does not know Jesus say, man, let's talk about my hedge of protection, all right? Let's talk, let's talk about how I'm asking God to give you a hedge of protection. They'll be like, what are you talking about? Is this bushes? Are they really high bushes? I mean, if I'm going to be defended from, from evil or, you know, from, from uh, Satan, from, from the wiles of the devil, I want something more than some bushes, right? I want something more defensive. Another term we use as Christians all the time, traveling mercies. Um, again, I don't even know what that is, but it's like, hey, Lord, give us traveling mercies. And I, has anyone ever been on a trip and they thought, man, this feels like a solid traveling mercy right now, right? Uh, it's just these weird terms that we use because we're in the context of the church. But when it comes to discipleship, and again, these notes will be in that discipleship group starter guide, so you can listen to them now, marinate on them, but you don't have to write these down word for word right now because I'm going to move through them kind of quickly. Disciple making, all right? First of all, disciple making is the overarching term used uh, for discipleship and evangelism. Um, disciple making is intentionally entering into someone's life to help them know and follow Jesus, evangelism, and teach them to obey his commands discipleship. So that's disciple making. Evangelism, right? What is it? It's sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone to help them know and follow Jesus as Lord through repentance and faith. When I talk about evangelism, that's what I'm meaning. Discipleship. And this is lengthy, lengthy but every single word means something, right? Discipleship is intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationships, empowered by the Holy Spirit, in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. Intentionally equipping believers. It's something you're doing on purpose. Discipleship doesn't happen on accident. Equipping. You are equipping other people. Who are you equipping? Believers. You can't disciple a lost person. Evangelism is for the lost person. Discipleship is for the, the believer, right? With what? Not our own wisdom, not a one-on-one manual, not a book, but the Word of God. That's what we're discipling people with. That's what we're intentionally equipping them with the Word of God. 
through accountable relationships, spending time with them, asking key questions, living life before our students, right? Empowered by what? Our own, our own strength? No, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's the one empowering the process. Why are we doing this? To replicate, accomplish the Great Commission, right? Faithful people who are following Jesus faithfully. So it's a long definition, but again, every word means something, and those notes will be in that manual you can download. And then a disciple is a follower, a devoted follower of Jesus. Finally, discipleship group, what we're talking about here in a moment, is a gender-exclusive group, closed, meaning once you start it, nobody else joins, um, of three to five people, guys with guys, girls with girls, for 12 to 18 months, I'm also going to suggest a nine-month interval. We'll get into that in a moment. For the purpose of accelerated spiritual growth through accountability, studying God's Word, memorizing Scripture, and replicating the process. So lots of definitions there, but you need to understand what I'm talking about when I say these words. This discipleship group that I'm about to explain to you is the hub of making disciples in student ministry. It's the key. It's the capstone on this process. And so if you want to find out more about discipleship groups, obviously you can get that manual. Um, I know Dan has mentioned before, uh, just released his book, um, Replicate, with Pastor Robbie. We, we talk about all this stuff in there extensively. We also have a podcast you can listen to called Making Disciples with Robbie Gowdy that navigates all this stuff. So I, I say those things only because I want you to have as much information about that as possible versus what we can do in this you know, 30 minute time together, right? So how do you start a discipleship group? You've got students, you want to start this discipleship group process. Let's say you've agreed with everything I've said up to now. How do you do it? Well, step one, and I'm gonna talk to you right now from this point on as if you are starting a group because that is the challenge first. You starting a group of discipling students, right? So first off, you need to pray to God, right, about who you will ask into your group. And here's the challenge with that. Obviously, the default is prayer for everything we do. So you might be like, oh, whatever, that's something to skip over. Well, here's the reason that this is so important. There's that student in your ministry that may be a huge uh, challenge for you, right? They may, they may be the one that talks all the time or they don't talk enough or they just rub you the wrong way. Whatever the challenge is here, you need to pray and ask God who should be in your group. Because what you're going to want to do initially is just find the three to four or five people that you like and you want to hang out with. Those students that are all in, you're like, okay, I can, I can deal with these students. Well, after nine months or a year, however long your subject group lasts, those students are going to go multiply with a different leader, right? And you're going to find new students. So it's not something that's going to last a long, long time, but it also you need to give God the opportunity to say, hey, here's who I want in your group. And it may not be someone you anticipated, but I want you to lead him or her, right? Second, you approach those individuals. You invite them into your discipleship group. You say, hey, here's the discipleship group, right? Um, here, I'm going to be doing these things, and you'll find out more about that in a second as I explain it. You, you walk through that and say, hey, just come to this meeting. Let's talk about it. Let's walk through this process and see if you want to be discipled for the next 9 to 12 months. Then you're going to covenant with them. You're going to meet with them. You're going to talk about each step, and you're going to say, hey, go home and pray about this. And if you're all in, I want you to sign this, this uh, covenant and agree to these things for the next time. I want skin in the game. I want you to buy in because here's the reality. Not everyone you ask to be in your discipleship group wants to be in your discipleship group, or is ready at this time to be discipled. And so the challenge that we have is we have to assure the students we're going to lead the trust to them to say, I'm going to invest in you, but this is a time commitment from you too. And as you know with students, 
it's easy for them to say yes and then check out, you know, not long after. So you want to give them that opportunity and, and, and not guilt them. You know, there needs to be an easy out for them because discipleship is not like other areas of ministry where we're trying to get them in. We want them in, but they have to decide that it's something they want for themselves. That's crucial to how discipleship groups work. So you're going to covenant with them to be committed and accountable to each other for that time period. And then you're going to invest your life into this discipleship group, into these participants for the next 9 to 12 months. And we'll talk more about that timetable. But I want to say, with students, I would suggest 9 months. I would almost start my student discipleship groups exclusively in the fall when school starts. Um, you can also start them in January when people are looking to get into some new stuff. But I would run those discipleship groups along with school semesters. It's just easier on that student schedule. Summer can be such a wild card for students. Um, I suggest that August to May timeframe. But I've also seen them work well. And in January through December, you just got to understand that summer is going to be hit or miss with a lot of students because of their schedule. So now that we know how to, to get some participants for our group, how do we structure our discipleship group? What takes place in the discipleship group? What exactly is going on? Um, first, you're going to start with prayer. So let's say you're meeting for an hour. You're, uh, my, my discipleship group, the students that I led, was at Chick-fil-A at 6.15 a.m., their choice, not mine, every Tuesday morning. So Tuesday morning, 6.15, we would roll in. I would open us up with prayer just to let God know, hey, we're here. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from each other. Uh, bless this time together. We're going to pray more later. So this is that introductory opening prayer. Then you're going to have a time of intentional conversation. Intentional conversations look like this. I would go around the room and you need to go around your group and say, give me one high and one low from the week, right? And the reason you want to do this is twofold. One, if you tell them to give you one high and one low, that person, and there is always a couple of them who want to give you 13 lows, is limited to just the one, right? And they, and they have to share a high too. There has to be something good about the week that they want to talk about. But you want to give everyone that opportunity to share. And the beauty of those that time together is you're creating conversation, you're opening up to each other before you get into God's Word so that time can be stronger and more compelling. And so that's the purpose of that introductory time. I'd spend about 10 to 15 minutes on this. And again, this discipleship group guide that you can get will tell you about the different timetables and what this meeting looks like. The next thing you want to do after uh, sharing highs and lows of the week, celebrations and praises of the week, is you want to move into uh, memoriz scripture memorization time. So over the course of the week, when you're away from each other, you've assigned a passage to memorize. And it can be as easy as Jesus wept. It can be as lengthy as an entire chapter. It's up to you and your group, right? You want to look at the context of your students and ask yourself the question, what is a legitimate option for these students? What I found with students is they, wanted, they, they needed to memorize a passage a month. I know that sounds like a low bar, but that's just the students I had. If we tried to do a new passage every week, they never would have been able to accomplish it. So what you're trying to do with these discipleship groups is move people from where they are to where they need to be, a little further down the road. So I'm giving you a lot of criteria here. I'm giving you some suggestions, but you'll have to know in the context of your group where to start and how far to go. So when I say memorize a passage a week, a verse a week, that may be perfect for your group. They may be stepping up and they may be knocking it out of the park. But if you find your group struggling to memorize passages, then say, hey, let's try one every two weeks or let's try one every month. The goal, again, is to get them into a practice of something that they haven't been doing consistently before. And so as you move them in that direction, keep that in mind. So we open with prayer. We share our highs and lows of the week for 10 to 15 minutes. And then we recite our memory verse together. 
And when we're reciting our memory verse, the key is this, encouragement and help. We're not trying to call people out for missing it. We're trying to help them get it, right? It's like when you're at the gym and you're lifting weights and you've got someone spotting you and, and they've got their hands under that bar just in case it slips, but also they help you get that last one up because you can't do it yourself. That's the way it should be with your scripture memory. As students miss a word, you're going to throw them that word. They're going to throw you one. Trust me, you're going to struggle memorizing these things just as much as they are, right? And you're going to help each other hide God's word in your heart in a positive way, and you're going to celebrate it as you uh, get the win and are able to, to, do, to do that. The next thing you're going to do is you're going to share here journals with each other. And the here journal is the heart of the discipleship group. I would argue that other elements of the discipleship group are critical. This is the most important part. Now, you don't want to leave anything out, but this is what you always want to get to. If something has to be minimized throughout the week, you can minimize any of the other elements. Do not minimize this. This is where we're seeing God's word lived out and we're being held accountable to living it out in the presence of our discipleship group, right? We're reading, we're applying, we're responding, and then we're coming together to share that response. This is why I don't believe students grow spiritually in most churches. This is why I don't believe students are really called, driven, encouraged, pushed, challenged by student leaders because this is not happening in their life. And so what is it? The Here Journal is real simple. You all are going to read a Bible reading plan together. And maybe it's a chapter a day. Maybe it's a half of a chapter a day. But while you're not together, you're reading this reading plan. With Replicate, we created this F260, Foundations 260. It's 260 days of reading for the year. Five days a week, weekends off so you can catch up, a passage or two a day, or a chapter or two a day. The New Testament version is one chapter a day. And, and the reason is we want to make it attainable. But what we're doing is as we read those passages throughout the week, we're taking a hear journal down every single day. Now, with your group, it may be three days a week they're doing it, right? Maybe two days a week. Baby steps to get where they need to go, right? Don't expect them to do everything on week one. Maybe week one, they're just doing one here journal. Maybe they're doing three. With my group, we actually did the here journal in the discipleship group. We read together and we wrote our notes down because that's where they needed to start with training wheels, right? But the here journal is you reading God's word together and taking down this H-E-A-R acronym, right? First is highlight. So whatever the passage is, let's say it's Philippians uh, you know, uh, 312, 4.13. Let's say Philippians 4.13, I'm going to highlight that passage as I read that chapter, that's the one that kind of stood out to me, right? And then you're going to explain the passage. What is this passage? Who wrote it? Who's he writing to? Um, why, you know, why did this passage stand out? What's some information about it? Then you're going to apply the passage. What does this passage look like? How are believers supposed to put this into our life? What is God trying to say to us here that applies to our daily living, right? This is incrementally the most impacting thing your student will ever do. Take God's word, apply it to themselves, and then the final step, the R, respond to it. If this is what God is telling me, and this is how it applies to my life, what is Chris Swain's response to that passage? And I'm just writing it down. Now listen, I may have only written four sentences here. That's my here journal. You may be a big time journaler. You may have a student who fills up an entire notebook with one here journal. That's great. But the goal is every day as I read, as I walk through that chapter, I'm letting God speak to me. I'm recording what he's saying, how it applies, and how I'm going to respond. And I'm telling you right now, it's just a game changer 
for discipling students. It's a game changer when you're holding people accountable, when they're holding you accountable, right? To live out what God is teaching us. And so those here journals, we share those, that's gonna be 20 or 30 minutes of the, of the hour long meeting. Say so you meet in an hour. Um, sometimes groups meet for an hour and a half. I know my wife's group before has met for two hours, okay? All I'm saying is however long your meeting is, I suggest an hour. This needs to be at least half of that time. Sharing here journals. So once we share here journals with each other, with the goal of studying the Bible, to hear from God, to apply, to put into practice, because we're not just trying to read more of the Bible to, to check off a box and say, hey, look what I read, right? We're trying to apply it. Half of the here method is about application, about doing what God says, not just reading what God says. So after we do our here journal time and we share that that here uh, journal with each, each other. So we meet, we pray, highs and lows, scripture memory. And I'll say, hey, Trevor, I want you to share your here journal this week. And he can pick any of the five he's taken. Maybe he's only done one. I don't know. You know, I'm giving him that ability to, at least if he's done one, he can share it. So he shares it with us and we talk through it. Hey, I read this passage. This is what God was saying to me. Here's an area of life I'm, I'm, I'm being challenged in. Here's what I thought God was saying to me with this. And we're walking through that, and here's how I responded to it, and here's what God's doing. And now Chip is going to talk, talk about it. John's going to speak to it a little bit. I'm going to talk about it a little bit. We're discussing. Think about how powerful this is. We're discussing what God is doing in our lives and how we're being held accountable to do it. That's how the Here Journal works. Then we're going to spend a few moments keeping each other accountable. We can do that with a list of accountability questions, but here's a better way to do it. We listen to what God has said in our here journals. We responded and we ask each other accountability questions to that response. Hey, you read about this passage. It reminded you of how you respond angrily to your mom. And this week you decided you're going to intentionally not respond angrily to your mom, but respond out of love. How did it go last week in your relationship with your mom? That's the accountability question for the week. It's driven by God's word. It's driven by our here journals, right? And of course you can ask all kinds of questions about, you know, what are you looking at on the internet? Uh, how are your relationships with your friends? Are you doing things that you know God wants you to do? Are you doing some things that you wish you wouldn't be doing that we can be praying for you in? This is an encouraging time to share and help people live out what God has called us to do. And then we're going to share prayer requests and close with prayer. And the typical way to do that is each person is going to say, hey, pray for me in this this week. Again, it may be tied directly to their here journal. My response to my here journal is this, please pray that I can do that. Please pray that I can have a better relationship and communication with my mother, right? Please pray that I, you know, make the football team or whatever, whatever it is that student's walking through. That's their prayer request. Everybody shares a request. Everybody prays. So this is going to take, you know, 10 minutes or so. Um, and that's how we close out the meeting. And the challenge with this, the key to this, I should say, not the challenge, the key to this is we need to invest in the lives of our students with the only thing that's gonna make a difference. Not somebody's book with great new insight on, on the Bible, which is really cool, I love those things, right? Not some new sermon that they heard that got them excited because of the way the word was presented, right? But how we are applying God's word to our lives. I would argue that so few ministries do this. As a student ministry leader, you know how critical it is to allow God to speak into your life, to speak into your heart, and then to respond to that. Hearing from God is one thing. Learning a new truth is one thing. Living it out is a whole nother thing. And that's what we're trying to get at with our students. And I would argue it's the main game changer. So you may say, Chris, how do we do this? We've got a busy schedule. 
We're, we've already got Sunday school. We've already got a Bible study. We've got Wednesday night student worship. You know, we've got Sunday morning church. What, what is the expectation of the discipleship group? What's going to happen when I go to my students and say, hey, I need another hour? Well, first of all, this is not going to be for all of your students. You need to start, one, you may want to start with a group of adults, some other volunteer leaders that you have. Um, you may want to start there. But even if you start with students outright, it needs to be those key students who want to do it that you see in them that, hey, they're ready for this. Now, as it multiplies, because at the end of this nine months, 12 months time frame, each person is going to go and find a new group. Well, if it's students, each one of those groups has to find another adult leader. You know, we encourage adults to disciple students. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, think of the conversations around accountability alone. That's probably uh, an important thing to have uh, adults in charge of, right? And so it is not easy. It is absolutely messy. But let me ask you this, what awesome, amazing thing can happen in ministry that isn't messy, right? Our lives are messy. People are messy. When you say, Chris, is this discipleship strategy you're talking about here? First of all, it's what Jesus did. And it requires us to walk with our people in the lives of our people. But let's just break down the week for a moment. You know, I'm terrible at math, first of all. So I've got my notes on math here. But you have 168 hours. I have 168 hours every week. 52 of those hours, I'm sleeping. Seven to eight hours a night. Let's just say seven to eight hours. Nobody's getting that, but let's say they're all getting it. Eight to 10 hours a day of work or school. That's 45 hours. Let's just say you're doing both work and school. It's about 65 hours. Let's swing high there, right? Three hours a day of extracurricular activities, whether it's Fortnite or cheerleading or football or whatever it is. Let's just throw those extra three hours a day on something like that extracurricular. And then six hours a week for church that you're already doing. Going on Sunday, you're going to Sunday school, you're going on Sunday night, and you're giving another hour on Wednesday. Let's just say you're living life like that. Out of your 168 hours, you still have 23 and a half hours left, right? 23 hours left after everything I just explained. Can you not take one of those hours and allow God to press into you, to press into the lives of your students, to make a radical difference as they walk through this process that Jesus emulated for us in the lives of his disciples as he's called us to make disciples of our students? Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, I thank you again today for these uh, these student leaders and the vital call you've given us to make disciples of the students you've entrusted to us. I pray for every community that you would reach them in a powerful and new way, encourage them, embolden them to make disciples who make disciple makers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. Get connected at studentministrymatters.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Student Ministry Matters. Until next time, keep up the great work with your students because the work matters.